Well, good morning, everyone. It's always good to see you. So glad you're here today. And uh, I am today going to be preaching a message that really is unlike uh, any other, I think, that I've ever uh, preached in uh, over 35 years. Um, as a pastor, I'm going to be talking today about trees. And as you can see on the screen behind me, this uh, message is called The Gospel of Trees because gospel means good news. And trees, in so many ways, bring us good news. Trees really are amazing. Scientifically, a tree is defined as a perennial plant with an elongated stem or trunk, which usually supports branches and leaves. And there are more than 73,000 known species of trees on earth. And it's estimated that there are over 3 trillion mature trees in the world. Trees are the largest living organisms on planet Earth. They are also the longest living organisms on planet Earth, some uh, living for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, most of us know this, but trees are, are good for the planet. They produce oxygen. They remove carbon dioxide from the air. They, they help cool the Earth. Trees are a, a vital part of the earth's water cycle. Their roots literally hold the earth together. Trees provide shelter for us as most of the houses, homes that most people have lived in for almost all of human history have, have been built out of trees. Until not very long ago, trees made much of the transportation on earth possible since you couldn't get across water without a boat. And it was not until the middle of the 19th century uh, during the Civil War when uh, some boats began to be made out of anything but trees. We make paper out of trees. Life-saving medicines come from trees. Trees actually do feed us. Uh, they feed us by producing uh, fruits and nuts, and we in California know that because we live in the land of fruits and nuts, right? We've all heard that. You know, for some of, some of you, this will be the most significant, most memorable thing that you're going to hear today. Uh, two of the most essential food groups come from trees, coffee and chocolate. Trees help us stay healthy. They do that by filtering the air that helps us breathe. There, there's actually evidence that, that patients recuperating from surgery heal faster uh, with fewer complications uh, that when they have access to trees during their recovery. You know, trees are amazing. Kids climb them, tired people sleep under them, hot people are, are shaded by them. And trees are beautiful, aren't they? Aren't trees beautiful? You know, people uh, go and stand up in the mountains, the Sierras, under a canopy of redwoods, and sometimes they call it a cathedral because of the magnificence of trees. Now, maybe about right now, some of you are thinking, well, sure, Pastor Mike, that's, that's fine. I mean, I like trees and all, but like we're in church. You, you, you do remember that, right? And uh, we came here to worship God. So what does this have to do with worshiping God. But what I want to tell you this morning is that the word of God's answer for your question is far more than most of us think. Some Christians see any concern for the environment as you know, something like tree-hugging, uh, a distraction from the gospel. Sometimes Christians think any concern about the environment is uh, about a certain political perspective on things. But, but the question ultimately that must be asked is, is this how God sees it? More specifically today, the question is, is that how God looks at trees? Maybe God doesn't care about trees. But I want to say that would be kind of strange since trees are God's idea. That would be kind of strange since God created a world in which trees actually make our air, like they're the lungs of the planet. I, I think that would be strange 
in a world that God created where trees actually make our water. Do you know that there would be no water on any continent possible more than three or 400 miles inland if it weren't for trees, that, that trees actually lift and move water into the interior of continents? And, and because trees provide us with air and water, trees also really do provide us with all our food, even beyond fruits and nuts. So air and water and food. Trees really are an integral, irreplaceable part of God's creation. Now, again, scientific facts are interesting, but again, for Christ's followers, the real issue is, well, what does God say about trees? And that's the first thing I wanna talk to you about today. There's two uh, main points I wanna give you. Here's the first one. I I agree uh, with author Matthew Sleeth, uh, who wrote a book a few years ago called Reforesting Faith, And it was this book that kind of inspired me to take a fresh look at God's word. Matthew Sleeth said this, God loves trees. And that's our first truth, God loves trees. Now, again, as I've already sort of alluded, that really should not be very surprising since God created trees. They're his idea. And like everything else he created on our planet, the Bible shows us God loves trees. You say, where do we see this? Do you have a verse for this? Yes, I do. In Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12, we see that God calls his creation of trees good. It says this, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, if we say, well, doesn't God say that everything he he created is good? Yes, he does. And he loves everything he created. Psalm 145 verse nine says, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. And without getting too deep into the weeds on this, the Hebrew word translated compassion is far, far deeper than just nice thoughts. It's actually a word that is another way of saying God has affection for and love for his creation. God loves everything he has made. But... The Bible shows us that God has a special kind of love for trees. Just think about these facts that I'm gonna share with you. You can write them down if you'd like to. The first one is, trees are the most frequently mentioned living thing in the Bible after God and people. If you open the very first page of the Bible, as we just read, you're gonna find trees. Trees are actually central to the teaching of the very first psalm, Psalm 1. And maybe you remember from a few weeks ago when we studied that psalm together, that that Psalm 1 is an introduction to the entire book of psalms. We find trees all through the prophets. We go to the New Testament. We find trees all through the gospels in Jesus' ministry. May we not forget Jesus, our Lord and Savior, died on a tree. That's how the Bible describes it. And if you go to the very end of the Bible, the very last page of the Bible, the Bible ends with a scene focused on a tree, which is known as the tree of life. When you add all of this different uh, stuff together, there are over a thousand references to trees in the Bible. Now, one of the reasons we, I think, tend to miss the Bible's focus on trees is just our English language. It's different than Hebrew and the Hebrew mindset. In, in Hebrew, not only the word tree, but also words like branch and fruit and root and forest and vine and uh, bush and leaf, those are all tree words. And just those eight words occur more than 800 times. And that count doesn't include the hundreds of times that specific species of trees are mentioned like oaks and palms and willows and sycamores and acacia, terebinth, fig, olive, pomegranate, granites. The average English translation of the Bible 
uh, has around 1,500 pages. Now, uh, some of you are kind of like me, your, your Bible's print's getting bigger and bigger, so some of you may have like a 2,500-page two, Bible, but average size, average font, average Bible, 1,500 pages or so, and that means with over 1,000 references, if you have a page of the Bible open in front of you, the odds are pretty good that there's some kind of tree on one of those two pages that you're looking at. Trees also, another thing, they mark every major theological event in the Bible. From the fall of man into sin in the Garden of Eden to the flood, Noah and the ark, to the exodus with the defeat of Pharaoh, onto the cross. Every major Bible event includes a tree or a branch or fruit or seed or some other part of a tree. In addition to that, every major character in the Bible appears with a tree. Noah had his olive leaf, Genesis 8:11. Abraham sat under the oaks of Mamre, Genesis 18.1. It says that Abraham also planted tamarisk trees in Beersheba. That's Genesis 21.33. And if you read that verse, you'll see he did it evidently as a part of his worship of God. Moses was called by God while standing barefoot in front of a burning bush. That's Exodus chapter 2, which in the Hebrew mind, a bush is a short tree. And I think you can get that. Uh, all of us probably, if you've done any kind of gardening, have worked with, with trees. If you prune them a certain way, you can keep them a bush. And if it's a, a bush, maybe you can prune it a certain way and it kind of becomes a, a tree. So in the Hebrew mind, a, you know, a tree is a tall bush or a bush is a short tree, however you want to think about it. We find, uh, we find these everywhere. Um, most characters appear with a tree. And there's one exception, it seems, at first. That's Joseph. Uh, in the book of Genesis. But when you get to the end of, of the book of Genesis, you find that Joseph is actually called a tree. That's Genesis 49, 22. And then again in Psalm 1, verse 3, we are all commanded to be like trees planted by streams of water which keep bearing fruit in drought. You know, we, we just spent the month of January uh, talking about what it means to live a blessed life. Well, here's an example of how you can do that. Jeremiah 17, verses seven and eight tells us, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a, what? Just say it. Tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Do you want to be blessed? Well, Jeremiah says, be like a tree. The wisdom in God's word is referred to as a tree of life in Proverbs chapter three, verse 18. And then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus himself, our Lord and our Savior, calls himself a tree. He says in John 15, one, I am the true vine. And again, the vine in the mind of the ancients was a kind of tree. Have you ever asked yourself this question, just kind of wondered what Jesus might've looked like physically? I think most of us have, have wondered that. Well, the only physical description of any kind we have in the Bible is a prophetic one, and it's in Isaiah 53, 2, where Isaiah prophetically describes the Messiah as a man who looks like a little tree growing up out of barren ground. Jesus, he also said, the kingdom of heaven is like a tree. That's Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. The apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans, and by the way, in two weeks, we're gonna start an in-depth study of the book of Romans, February 19th. You wanna mark your calendars and be here. But in Romans 11, verses 17 and 18, Paul, the apostle, says Christ followers, that's you and me, say that's us. Christ followers, he says, are like branches grafted into Israel's tree, which allows us to draw life from those ancient roots. In the Bible, the only thing Jesus ever harmed was a tree. That's Mark 11. And the only thing that could ever harm Jesus was a tree. Maybe you remember 
the story of Easter Sunday morning when, when Mary came grieving because her Lord had died and she comes to the garden where the tomb had, what was and she sees Jesus but she doesn't recognize him. Do you remember who she thought he was? She thought he was a gardener. And I'm gonna tell you that was not an accident. Think about it. Adam fell into sin and he took all of God's creation down with him and he did it in a garden. Jesus, on the morning that he resurrected from the dead, on the day that he defeated sin and death in the grave, Jesus came back to a garden to show that he was going to renew and restore all of God's creation. And gardens are about trees in the Bible. See, this is how the the Bible looks at things. This is how God's word thinks about things. And then, of course, once again, think how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with a tree. It ends at the tree of life. We are told in Revelation 22 that heaven is filled with trees and that the leaves of those trees are for the healing of all the nations. And then one more thing. As if just to put an exclamation point on on this veritable forest of metaphors, Jesus' very last, his final I am statement is almost to the very end of the book of Revelation. It's on the last page. It's just a handful of verses from the last verse. It's Revelation 22, 16. And Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Now, as I said, Trees are the largest living things in all of God's creation. And I want you to know that what I have just shared with you, it's kind of like standing at the very base of a mighty sequoia. It's so little, you can't even see the top. What I've shared with you is just the beginning of all that God says to us in his word about trees, what he says to us through trees. But if you take nothing else from today, if you are still listening to this and you're saying, I don't really care about trees, then you should be asking yourself, why does God love trees? And what does God's love for trees tell me about my life? That's the second thing that I I wanna offer to you, and that's simply that God uses trees to teach us. Now, I want you to follow the logic here. If we believe that God inspired his word, and we do believe that, right? Say amen. Amen. This is God's word. He inspired it. Then we must believe that God put, by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, all of these trees in the Bible for a reason. Does that make sense? Well, the question is why? Why? With a whole planet full of symbols to choose from, why did God decide to make trees so central to his message? Why are trees God's favorite metaphor in the Bible? Well, I think that there are many insights that we can gain about this, and and honestly, we don't have time uh, to dig into all of them today. But here's the central idea that I think we need to see And it it may cause you to wonder when you first hear it. It's this, people are like trees. People are like trees. Now, there is a ministry called the the Bible Project. It has a website. Uh, I I know a number of you have checked it out from time to time, some really great uh, video introductions to different books of the Bible and different doctrines of the Bible. But they've done some great work on this uh, topic, and I'm indebted to them for uh, some of these insights. And one of the things that, that they point out, and this is Tim Mackey, who is the head of the Bible Project, is that scholars have long noted that we find something called design patterns uh, in the Bible that are there to help us receive and understand. They're there to communicate the central message of the Bible. See, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible writers use the repetition of ideas and images and scenes and and key words to tell us the story that God wanted told. 
And they don't do it always exactly the same. Design patterns are marked by something called repetition with variation. And it's very important to understanding the Bible. Um, how many uh, books are there in the Bible? Does anybody know? Can you just shout it out and tell us? 66 books of the Bible, that's right. 66 different books in the Old and New Testament written across around 1,500 years by so many different people who are living in different kinds of, of cultures. And, and yet there is this unity that is there. And one of the ways that we see unity in terms of the message is through these design patterns. They, they show up in story after story. And if you want kind of a, a hook or analogy to understand, design patterns are sort of like hyperlinks. When you see one, it should take you back uh, to a previous story maybe, or maybe it takes you forward uh, to another subsequent story, but it shows you that they're connected. We, we see these repeated words and images, and, it, and, and they are there. They're meant to tell us you should start thinking of the, these as, as part of one a whole idea throughout the, the collection of the Bible's writings. Trees are an example of a design pattern. And I've already kind of laid some of this out for you. The design pattern begins with the creation, first page of the Bible, and it continues through the pages of the Bible to the last page of the Bible. It concludes with the tree of life there in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, just in case you were wondering, uh, the Hebrew word for tree is the word eights. And I've transliterated it this way uh, because if I transliterated it as A-T-E-S, you'd be thinking about eating lunch and I didn't want you to get distracted. So this is like eights, you know, it's not ets, it's more like eights. It's got kind of an A sound, but that's the Hebrew word uh, for tree. And this is a word that, that shows up a time and time again, it's a word that shows up with Noah and then with Abraham and then with Moses and then with, with David. And, and the way that trees appear in these different accounts um, may be different. But again, this design pattern is repetition with variation. Sometimes it's about a boat or an ark built with eights. Other times it's an actual eights. The temple, when God gives a design for the temple, tells his people how to build it, he tells them to build the temple out of all kinds of eights. The temple, really, when you stop to look at it, it's fascinating. It's all about trees because it's first built out of these eights, olive and cedar, but it also is decorated with eights, with palm trees and, 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 and pomegranates, different things that are part of trees carved into the door of the temple. One person writing about this said it was meant to tell you when you came to worship God, it's, it's almost like you're entering a forest. The prophets, you just keep going in the Old Testament, and when they think of the Messiah who is to come, the one they were longing for, they regularly describe him in terms of a tree. In Jeremiah and Zechariah, the name for the Messiah who is to come, do you remember? It's the branch, the branch. You get to the New Testament. Jesus tells stories called parables. And he describes in one place, I alluded to this earlier, he describes the kingdom of God as a mustard seed that grows into a tree. And then, of course, Jesus dies on a tree. That's how his death on the cross is described multiple times in the book of Acts. We just recently read Paul describing it that way in the book of, of Galatians. And you've probably never thought about this, but in our lives, when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, the work of the Holy Spirit is connected biblically to leaf and to fruit imagery, the fruit of the Spirit. See, that's about trees, right? Fruit grows on trees. It, it doesn't show up at Safeway, okay? It starts in a tree. And then we get again, once again, to the tree of life at the end of the story in the new heavens and the new earth. And here's the point, if you're not getting it already, this is all intentional. We are meant to see these stories and connect these stories and understand that they tie things together. And they especially... They especially show up at key hinge points 
in the biblical story. There's almost always a tree somewhere in the mix. See, the Bible, the Bible wants you to meditate on trees and to meditate on trees by doing that to become like a tree. And again, you may not be someone who's ever thought very much about trees. Maybe you're not into trees. Maybe you kind of feel even right now, I don't really care that much about trees. You don't really think that trees play much of a role in your life, even though, may I remind you that the air you breathe and the water you drink and the food you eat all would be impossible without trees. You don't think trees matter to you very much, even though you live inside a home built with trees, right? Now, here's the question. It's a serious question that I would like to pose to you, especially if you're not so sure that this really makes that much difference. The question is, will we allow the word of God, the Bible, to tell us what really matters? Will we allow God's word to tell us the real story of the world, a story that is truer and better and richer and more satisfying than any of our other stories? Are you willing to let the word of God reshape your thinking, maybe in a way you've never, ever considered before? And will you believe that God wants to do something maybe new and fresh in your life, something you would never know unless you be learned to think like he thinks? See, this is what this is about. This is not something we've spent a lot of time thinking about. And, and again, we, we start learning that people are like trees at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 on the first page of the Bible. I want to make this as simple as I can. And maybe you know this, but many of us have never heard this. When you read Genesis 1, the creation narrative, the six days that God created the world, six days of God's working is designed as it's laid out there it is designed in two sets of three days. Day one through three makes one set. Days four through six make another set. And days four through six kind of go back and map over and onto what happened on days one and two and three. And so what that means is day one is connected to day four, day two to day five, and day three to day six. And all of these pairings in these two sets, they, they align in terms of content and vocabulary. So here's how it works. Break it down even more. Day, days one and two, one thing happens. On day three, two things happen. And if you don't believe me, you can just look it up. You'll see. On days four and five, one thing happens. And on day six, two things happen. So on day one, God makes light. He creates light. And then on day four, you get the sun and the moon and the stars. Have you ever read this and wondered, well, how is there light without the sun and the moon and the stars? He makes light. Then they, the, they come later. I think the simple Bible answer is the glory of God is enough to light the universe. And we actually see that in Revelation 22, verse 5, where it says, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more need for sun or moon or stars because God's glory will be the light. You go to day two, God makes water and sky. Day five maps over that because God makes, he makes uh, swimming things and flying things. Does this make sense? Are you tracking with what I'm saying here? And then on day three, God makes dry land. But then he does a second thing. On day three, God also makes trees. Trees that have seed and bear fruit. It's like a bonus creative act. You get extra on day three. Day six, we're back to dry land. That's where it starts. And once again, God does a second thing. It's like another bonus creative act. On day six, God makes people. People who have seed and bear fruit. 
See, it's a design pattern, and this design pattern and structure in Genesis 1 wants us to read it and associate fruitful trees and fruitful people. Both people and trees exist on the dry land. They both have a a parallel function. It's described with the same word, same vocabulary. In fact, there's something so fascinating. There's no way the Bible writers would have had any way of knowing this, but we do today and I want to show you a picture, if we can put that picture up right now. On the left, you know what that is. That's a human lung. On the right is a tree. And if you're thinking biblically, it should send chills up and down your spine. You go back to Genesis 1:28. It says God makes Adam and he breathes life into his lungs. And the next verse, it's like he pivots and he plants trees. And back then, of course, they had no way of knowing, like we know today, that the air that our lungs breathe comes from the photosynthesis of trees, right? But do you see the interconnection? Do you see the relationship? I was looking at one blog had a picture like this, said, ah, it's an accident. And I thought, it takes more faith to believe that's an accident than it is to believe that the creator God designed it all, right? People are like, trees. We're supposed to see this connection, this metaphor that links us. And, and, and I just want to be real clear. This is not some like weird Bible code thing, you know, where, where the guy doing the studies making stuff up and telling you, you know, if you do this and do that, this is going to happen. This is not this at all. This is, this is well understood for many, many centuries, the way that Bible authors communicate. This is about repetition with variation. I, I said it was like a hyperlink. Let me give you another illustration. How many of you like to watch movies? Just raise your hand. You like to watch movies of any kind. That's going to be most of us. Well, you have probably experienced in watching a movie uh, at some point, the camera will show you this object and nothing is said about the object, but you're kind of led to think there's something about the object. And then the object turns up again, maybe at several points in, in the movie and you begin to understand that This is telling me something. This means something, this object that is there. This is kind of what a design pattern is like. If you want to get this fleshed out even more, um, I'm going to ask this question. How many of you like to listen to movie score soundtracks? Any of you have some of those that you like to listen to? So uh, you don't have to admit whether you've listened to this one or not, but one of the more famous ones is the Star Wars soundtrack, right? And in that soundtrack, and if you watch this movie, these, those movies, you know this, there is what's called Luke's theme, and it's, um, it's this melody, it's this motif, and it shows up first when Luke shows up. And I know you're dying for me to try to hum it for you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to inflict that on you. But if you have watched the movies, you know at other times, later in the, in the first movie and then later in other movies, when Luke shows up, that music plays. And it's this motif. It's telling you Luke is here and it means something. It, it's part of the story. It, and it's the same thing with the design patterns in the Bible. Trees and humans are connected. Notice the vocabulary. They both have seed. They both bear fruit. So people are like trees. And God's word wants us to meditate on this, to think deeply about what this means, to ponder how we should live in light of this. It goes even deeper in Genesis 2. Trees in Genesis 2 in the garden are made from the ground, which in Hebrew is the word Adama. Does that sound like anything familiar? You know, you, you've probably heard before that Adam was named Adam because he was made from the ground. And, and, and that's where his name comes from. So trees are made uh, from the Adama and they bear fruit. Adam humans are, are made from the, the ground or the Adama and they are also to bear fruit. But then 
in addition to that, in the creation accounts, we're also introduced to two specific trees there in the Garden of Eden, right? The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and so if in the garden there is a tree that has life and there is a tree that has death, and if people are like trees, then we can expect as we read the scriptures that we will find people like this too. People who bring life and people who bring testing and death. And the language develops later on in the scriptures. It's the righteous and the wicked because people are like trees. You see, trees and humanity's destiny are forged in Genesis 1. And this design pattern gets developed throughout the Bible and it keeps going and it keeps unfolding and it keeps expanding until we get to Jesus who redeems humanity's failure with a tree by hanging on a tree. We keep going to the end of the story, new heavens, new earth, the new Jerusalem, and there in the center of this city, this heavenly city, this restored creation, we see the tree of life, or you probably could even say the trees of life because there's many, many trees there, and we are told that the leaves of these trees are for the healing of the nations. Do you see it? Do you get it? People are like trees. And the Bible really does want us to think about this, meditate on it. I already mentioned Psalm 1, which is an explicit uh, contrast of righteous and wicked people. Again, you know uh, that we studied this a few weeks ago, but it says this in verse 3, that the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And what's kind of interesting in this psalm is that the psalmist seems to be describing the tree of life in Genesis 2. And he's telling us that the righteous person who is connected to God, who is planted and and rooted, becomes like a tree of life, giving life to others through the fruitfulness that God puts into their, their life. You become like a tree of life. And that is also Again, what Jeremiah is saying, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, if you trust in the Lord, if you live with confidence in the Lord, you're going to be like a tree, and not just any tree, a tree planted by water with its roots going deep into the streams that are there. You will not fear when drought comes. You will not fail to bear fruit. Your life will always be green. You know, you are, again, supposed to make this connection to think of the tree of life here. See, this person who's connected and rooted in God, they are stable. They have a sustainable life source nearby. Some of you are really into being sustainable, right? This is the ultimate sustainable life source right now, uh, lifestyle. Stay rooted in God. They send out deep roots. They are resilient. They, They flourish. They're fruitful. Let me give you one more. Psalm 92 this is a, another contrast of the righteous and the wicked. And, and in this psalm, you can read the whole thing. Uh, the wicked are like grass, you know, grows up, but it goes away fast. It doesn't last. And I so love Psalm 92, 12 through 15. I love these verses more and more every year I get older, and you're going to see why. This is what the psalmist writes. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. And grow like a cedar in Lebanon. People are like trees. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And if you ever tell me, Pastor Mike, you're full of sap, I'm going to say, thank you very much. That's what I want to be. Why? Why is this the case? Well, look at verse 15. Here's the reason. I love it. To declare, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, that's why 
We're rooted. That's why we're planted. That's why we're to be like trees connected to the very life of God so that our lives can declare that there is no other God but him. There is no other God but him. It's so beautiful. What these verses are about is just, you know, when you live like a tree, the way the Bible describes it, you make these life choices the way the Bible tells us, then your life keeps bearing fruit even into old age. So what are we learning from all of this? We're learning that we can be people who are like trees of life, who are sharing the the very life of God with the people around us. We're planted in God. We're stable. We're rooted. We're resilient. We're offering shade to people who need it. We're offering fruit and even healing. We're branching out and bringing life to our neighbors and to our neighborhoods, to our cities, and even out around the world. See, this is describing what it means to be the people of God. A few years ago, uh, Peter Wolleben uh, published a book that became a New York Times bestseller. Maybe some of you have read, read it. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees. And he has some fascinating insights about trees. Um, it's a secular book. If you pick it up, I'll let you know ahead of time. And, and though I'm not a scientist, I, I do think that he sometimes goes beyond the scientific evidence and he, he, he talks as if trees were some kind of, a, had some kind of sentient life. And, and there's a lot of scientists who have pushed back about this. But in doing this, he points out some realities about trees, which I think connect to God's creation and God's purpose in trees and people. I want to share a couple of them with you. Did you know that, that trees, when they get rooted and established in, ground, in the ground, that their root system uh, connects and intertwines with other trees, making it possible for them to communicate chemically with each other? Uh, this is not uh, my joke. I don't want to take credit for this, but somebody said it's the wood wide web, okay? Just to give you, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not taking credit for that one. But it gives you an idea. And actually, not only do they communicate with each other, but they evidently protect each other and even provide kind of healing for each other. He writes in his book that if one tree is, you know, loses its leaves, it gets damaged in some way, and so it cannot do its own photosynthesis. When it's together with other trees, the other trees send nutrients through the roots to that tree so that it doesn't die, so that it can get restored. Trees need other trees. Anybody see how, how trees might connect to people when you think about something like this? And and again, the Bible was written before anyone had any idea about these realities. Uh, Once a tree gets established with a a good root system, it gets interconnected with the other trees, and the the trees together begin to create kind of an ecosystem, even sometimes a microclimate. Every tree matters in this together. They can keep the forest floor a certain temperature. Together they share nutrients among each other because sometimes one tree is planted in good soil and sometimes another tree is planted in not so good soil. Well, Laban says that when they're planted in different places, it's like they, they kind of synchronize their performance. They, they do this, again, through the roots. They, they give nutrients to one another. In other words, you might say trees practice generosity, generosity. And this generosity can only happen when trees are rooted and connected together below the ground in this interdependence on one another. And, and I think you can just, you can begin to think of the implications of this, how this ties into the kind of life that the Bible so clearly calls us to live. You know, when we emphasize community, when we emphasize, you know, getting connected in the life groups, when we call you to examine, you know, your life of personal autonomy and give that up and, 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 and give that up for the sake of community, we're, we're, we're not just doing that because it sounds good. We're, we're not just calling you to get involved in a life group so Pastor Mike can go brag to his pastor friends about how many people Southwinds has in life groups. We're not doing that because it's like financially beneficial or something like that. We call you to community, to this interconnected interdependence because that is what you need for a life that is truly life. You cannot find it on your own if you want to find flourishing. We all need to be rooted in a community that can bring us healing when we hurt, to be rooted in a community where we can offer healing to others when they hurt, 
You know, if you're a very mature tree, you've been in the forest for a very long time, then you need to be the kind of person who shares with others the things that you have learned, makes your life available to them. And again, just like trees, all of this only happens when we're rooted and interconnected. In other words, life in the kingdom of God, just like life in a forest, it's not about us. It's not about us. There's kind of, I don't know if you've noticed this, kind of this odd phenomenon in the Bible where the Bible talks about trees as communicating. Have you ever read any of those verses and thought, what is that about? Trees talk to each other in the Bible. Trees sometimes clap their hands in the Bible. Trees shout for joy in the Bible. And I wanna ask the question, is that just a metaphor or is there something beyond that in God's providence, in his creation. There's a, one place that's really interesting uh, where they, these trees do this shouting for joy. It's actually a prophecy, and it's a prophecy about when the Lord comes back to judge the earth. The prophecy says that people in that day of God's judgment are gonna be hiding under rocks. They're trying to escape the judgment, but not the trees. They are shouting for joy. They are finally getting their, their, their day in court. They are finally standing before an honest judge who will come and who will make all things right in God's world. And they shout for joy. They shout for joy. I'll be real honest with you. This is one of the more difficult messages I've, I've had to repair, um, I think, in a really long time. And I really wrestled this week. And the, really, the big thing is that there's way too much and, and there's so many more things that I wanted to tell you. And I was having a hard time kind of focusing and narrowing it down, you know, so I could sh- share with you. And so I'm telling you this now because I just got to stop. I just got to stop. And uh, as I stop, um, I have to say one thing. I know that some of you are out there thinking, uh, he's probably preaching about this because of that tree thing they've been talking about doing, you know, the 75 tree project. Well, actually, that's not why. It's connected to it, but that's not why. The truth is, a couple of years ago, I began to study God's word in kind of a different way about trees than I'd ever done before, and I began to learn some things, and it was the study of God's word that actually led me to the 75 Trees Project. So, this is not a pitch you know, you don't have to protect your wallets or whatever. This is not what this is about today. I mean, if you want to get involved by giving, you can, as always. But I want you to let you know, um, one of the responses might be that you want to get involved in helping us make this happen. We're going to need people to dig holes and plant trees. We're going to need people to come back after the trees are planted and, and water them and keep them staked and things like that for a while. We're going to need, you know, the body of Christ, the people of Southwinds who are kind of like trees, according to the Bible, to help plant some trees here on our property. And you can go to the lobby and you can sign up if you'd like to get involved in some way, or you can go to our app and you can sign up and get involved. And so with all of that said, I want to just leave you with one final thought. Have you ever wondered why so many people love trees? And I think you, you know that that's the case. Many of you feel like that. You just would say, I love trees. I wanna give you the best answer to that question, why people love trees, taken from the Bible, and it's this. We love trees because we are made in the image of God. God loves trees. And so people who are living out their life as image bearers will also love trees. How many of you think trees are beautiful? Look at that, hands just go up. Why do we think trees are beautiful? Again, I have an answer. Because God thinks they're beautiful. You say, you got a verse for that, Pastor Mike? Yeah, actually I do. Genesis 2 verse 9 says that God says that trees are pleasing to the eye. That is God's aesthetic 
judgment about trees. They look good. And it's kind of interesting how that aesthetic continues through the scriptures. When God tells his people how to make candlesticks for his place of worship, Exodus 25, 31 to 40, he tells them to make candlesticks that look like trees. When God tells his people how they should decorate the the hem of the high priest's robe. He tells them to make the fruit of the trees to hang at the bottom. When when God tells them how to decorate the corbels of the temple, this is in 1 Kings chapter six. He, He tells them to decorate in a way that looks like trees. See, God's standard of beauty is a tree and its fruits. And we see that all the way to the very end of the Bible. You can turn again to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, and you will see that God's throne, this is verse six, faces a tree. Some of y'all have a throne, it faces a large flat screen. God says, I got something better to look at, and he faces a tree. God loves trees, and God uses trees to teach us. This is the word of God for us today, Southwinds, and all God's people together say, amen. 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 Let's bow. Let's pray. God, our Father, we um, give you thanks for your creation. Lord, we know we take it for granted so often. But Lord, as we think about this, we are most grateful that though we failed in the presence of a tree, you sent your son Jesus to die on a tree to redeem us from our failure. You sent Jesus to die on a tree, Father, to connect us back to the very tree of life. And Lord, we just give you thanks for that. Help us to have eyes that are open to see the truth in your word. Help us, Lord, to understand in a deeper way the kind of people that you want us to be, rooted in you, always trusting in you, never removing ourselves from you because we always are drawing our life from you. Lord, we pray for anyone who's here today, anyone at all who is not connected to the tree of life, to Jesus, your son. We pray, Lord, today that they would see by the conviction of your Holy Spirit their sin. We pray that you would grant them repentance, Father, so that they would turn from that sin. Lord, we we ask as your people that everyone here would be someone who knows you because they trust in you and they wanna be like a tree. Lord, you are so good to us. You provide us so many, many blessings and we give you thanks for all of them, Lord. And as all of our prayers are being lifted up to your throne, we are so grateful for the promise that we know that you hear and you answer. And so we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, the true vine. We pray all these things and all God's people say, amen.